So I guess um, perhaps we're seeing, as you mentioned, we're seeing band patients less commonly now as the operation falls out of, of favour um, in the bariatric community and, and sleeve gastrectomies are becoming uh, more commonly performed. Um, so I was wondering if you could just give me a little bit of background about a gastrectomy and then perhaps some of the complications these okay. patients run into. So this, the sleeve at the moment in the UK and pretty much all over the world is the commonest bariatric procedure performed. So it's uh, performed laparoscopically. The aim of the surgery is to remove the outer 75% of the stomach. Okay, So we go in, we mobilise the uh, greater curvature of the stomach from about 4-5 centimetres proximal to pylorus all the way to the angle of his and then you Using uh, staplers and size by a bougie, we staple off the outer, two, outer three quarters of the stomach and remove it completely out of, out of your body. The operation is fairly straightforward uh, to do. We often, uh, we used to do it in high risk patients who were too big for a gastric bypass, mm -hmm. too heavy for a gastric bypass or in whom a gastric bypass is contraindicated or too high risk, now we're tending to do it in much, much lower BMI patients. So you could have a BMI 30 patient with diabetes, for example, or a BMI 35 with diabetes having a sleeve gastrectomy uh, very commonly. Um, the operation itself takes about an hour to do. The recovery is rapid. Often patients go home in the first couple of days. Mm -hmm. What you're left with is a long staple line. And the uh, three things that... that patients will present with in the first month after surgery. One is leak, uh, one is bleeding post-op from the staple line or a hematoma, and the third thing might be dysphagia uh, and vomiting. Okay? And they're Ooh. acute there. And, the, and these are pretty much acute presentations. Okay. The most important of which is the leak. So mm -hmm. the rate of a leak uh, after a sleeve is between 1 in 100 to 1 in 200 cases. Uh, it can present just with gen just with a bit of non-specific left upper quadrant pain, or it can present in frank uh, peritonitis and the patient in extremis. Uh, so you literally have uh, the two um, the two sides of presentation. Um, and what, any, when does that most commonly happen? Yeah, so the commonest the uh, it, it depends. So if it's in common with any leak, if it's a technical problem with the operation, you'll get it day two, day three. Mm -hmm. But it can present anything from ten days. To to about a month after the okay. operation. I actually had, in one of my patients uh, very early on, uh, a leak presenting at about 25 days after surgery, literally. Okay. The commonest site for a leak uh, from the sleeve is at the angle of his. Mm -hmm. And um, these are often... Uh, very sick patients, they're high BMI patients, multiple comorbidities, and it is literally a life-threatening uh, condition. Um, so your any any sleeve patient who presents to SAU or A&E acutely within 30 days, you've got to think, I've got to rule out a leak. Okay. And, and how like, would you go about doing So again, that? assessment, it's your history, your examination. Uh, if you can get a copy of the up notes, great. If you can't, it's not a problem. Um, uh, you've done your baseline bloods, arterial blood gases. I wouldn't bother with a chest x-ray or an abdo x-ray. That patient just needs a CT. And mm -hmm. I would actually do a CT lower chest uh, and abdomen and pelvis with IV and oral contrast, okay? Again, you want water-soluble contrast if you're querying a leak. And again, 
uh, you want to give the contrast literally 20 minutes before the CT is undertaken. Okay? okay. If there's a leak, it'll be very, very clear. There'll be um, a fluid gas collection outside the sleeve. It may be located in the left upper quadrant or it might be a bit lower down closer to the sleeve. There's various causes for a leak. Uh, there could be a stenosis in the sleeve that the, the system blew out basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be technical failure. It could be um, a high risk patient whose tissues haven't healed very well. Your key priority is to resuscitate that patient, good IV access, broad spectrum antibiotics, blood cultures, if they have a temperature, get a baseline lactate mm-hmm. CT done and get onto the bariatric unit as soon as the patient's stabilised. And is that commonly <coughs> managed operatively or is there a role for kind of... In- so, so yeah so so it depends really it depends on the site of the leak the condition of the patient your options are to take the patient back to theater do a laparoscopy wash out and put in loads of drains mm-hmm. okay there are some um there are some pretty complex procedures like taking a, a rule loop and stitching it onto uh, the leak, for example, that mm. some bariatric surgeons do. But most would advocate getting that patient out of trouble, uh, just wash out drainage, letting it settle. The other is endoscopic treatment by means of an abs- a dissolvable stent. Okay. So that's another option. But to be honest, all those decisions will be made in the specialised yeah. units. I think the key is just to recognise it, um, have a high suspicion of it and um, transfer, resuscitate and transfer that patient. Okay. So septic patients that come in, really any time in the first month after their sleepectomy, the leak should be top. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that month, the risk of leak is incredibly low. Okay. It's very, very low. It, it's more common that, for example, if they're on, if they've taken any NSAIDs, which they shouldn't have done, they might get an ulcer, which is perforated. So you treat that pretty much as any other upper GI patient would be. Okay. So if we put leak to one side, are there other complications of of a sleeve that we should look out for so, maybe a bit later? On? Yeah. So in the first week, you have again a 1 in 100 risk of getting a bleed from that staple line so in common with other patients who are bleeding uh, most often it's it's not an acute bleed they might present with an abdominal collection the HB they might have a HB drop so again you just manage those symptomatically uh, confirm the diagnosis and imaging and bloods give them antibiotics to treat them and transfer them to the bariatric centre and is it normally an intraluminal bleed rather than into the abdominal cavity it depends it's very very rare to get an intraluminal bleed often it'll bleed lead out of the staple line okay. into the abdomen that's more common um, the vast majority of bariatric patients we actually operate on will have a HB drop of one to two post-op okay. completely normal yeah. um, whether that's a bit of oozing from the staple line or whether it's a dilutional effect mm-hmm. we don't know yet we're studying it but if you see the HB drop one to two units we, we see that quite frequently if it's anything more than that and the patient is presenting with symptoms that would go with an abdominal collection then obviously that's a major post-op bleed Okay. The other thing which might they might present with mm. um, acutely in the first month or so is vomiting or dysphagia. Okay. okay. And so uh, it's all based on the history. What they often uh, these patients will be on a particular post-op diet. So, for example, the band sleeve and bypass patients uh, will start them on a two-week liquid-only diet. Then they progress to a two-week puree diet and then soft diet and then normal diet after. So when they progress from one stage to another, they can get symptoms of uh, dysphagia Mm -hmm. and sometimes vomiting. The commonest cause for it in sleeve patients is them eating too quickly 
or drinking too quickly or having too big mouthfuls. Okay. Um, you won't you won't be able to assess that. It's mm-hmm. normally a bariatric dietitian sure. who will flag that up. Uh, in sleeve patients, sometimes if they get an acute stenosis or a twist or a narrowing in the sleeve mm-hmm. in the first month or so, they can present with recurrent vomiting. And anyone who any bariatric patient who presents with recurrent vomiting is very important to give them as part of the resuscitation package uh, IV papernix, okay? okay, to to top up their multivitamins because they can develop vitamin deficiencies quite quickly um, post-op. Okay. All right then. And looking for sleeve twists and things, presumably we look at that on CT. Yeah, barium. So if it's it's within the first month or so, probably a CT will give you more information because it will rule out other conditions. Uh But if it's beyond that, then a barium swallow, uh, normally with Carbex, so they give them sort of gas forming granules to drink along with the barium and that uh, that that produces gas in the stomach which distends the stomach and gives a really nice picture okay. so it's a barium with carbex but again that you'd refer that patient to the bariatric center okay and we'll think about pabronex when we're resuscitating our yep. patients as well is there any other um thing you wanted to talk any other complications maybe more chronic things in just yeah, sleep patients? So, so just to be aware that the bariatric patients in general within the first two to three weeks they will get constipated very very constipated because of the change in diet no it's it's more the liquid diet that they're on for the first two weeks is it's zero fiber basically and because their body's absorbing all the liquids the shakes the soups the tea coffee water whatever that they're drinking uh, very little goes through to the bowel so the effect of that plus the codeine from the Mm post-op um the post-op discharge meds uh this will contribute to their constipation so they may well present with sau with griping abdominal pains and so on have it in the back of your mind that this could be constipation but make sure you've ruled out other causes a port site hernia for example any of these patients can get one so always uh, use your clinical acumen try to tie up the symptoms think of the worst thing that that could be going on inside mm-hmm. and if you've ruled out all these things you can put it down to constipation okay and perhaps if all their observations and all their bloods and all their imaging yeah. is normal absolutely then we absolutely okay then um so maybe we could move on to the third bariatric operation that general surgeons see um relatively commonly and that's um bypass yeah. gastric bypass okay is so that one is that more common than a gastrectomy or so this is so the bypass is considered the gold standard operation for bariatric okay. surgery okay so it's probably the second most common operation we do now um, the surgery itself is done laparoscopically. It takes about a couple of hours to do. Uh, it involves um, stapling the top of the stomach to form a small pouch the size of a human finger and then making a roux uh, limb, if you like, uh, from the small bowel, proximal to the DJ, uh, distal, sorry, to the DJ Fletcher, and then doing an anastomosis. So there's two anastomoses. One is the gastrojejunal anastomosis, and the second one is a jejunal anastomosis. Um, the surgery is great. Technically, it's fantastic to do. Uh, recovery is very good. Patients are often home day one uh, to day two post-op, and they're discharged again on a similar protocol to the sleeves uh, in terms of the post-op diet, the medications afterwards. Um, In terms of the um, problems that they might get in the first uh, 30 days or so, again, with the gastric bypass, the commonest, not the commonest thing, but the most serious thing that you have to pick up is uh, a leak from one of the anastomoses. So the rate of that is around one in a hundred patients will develop a gastric bypass leak. Where's that most commonly from? Could be from, so it could be from either anastomosis actually, the gastrojejunal anastomosis or the jejunojejunal anastomosis, or if there's been a harmonic injury, for example, or a, an 
energy source injury to the gastric remnant mm. or from the gastric remnant staple line. So a variety of sources. Again, the patient will present acutely unwell, uh, septic, peritonitic, and often bariatric patients will um, uh, will will carry on in a fairly clinically stable way mm. and then decompensate all of a sudden. A bit like the paediatric population, maybe. Absolutely, absolutely. So when they go, they really, really do go off. Okay. They often present with generalised pain. You come to examine them for peritonism and peritonitis and you can't elicit it. Because there's because and it doesn't big fit. abdominal wall. Yeah, absolutely. So clinical examination is notoriously unreliable okay. in any bariatric patient. Okay. okay? So one of, the, one of the markers that you look for is a tachycardia. So any tachycardia in a post post-op bariatric patient there's a problem there okay, okay? and immediately night one post-op they might get uh, a, ta- a tachy for example of 105 110 as long as that's stable it normally settles by day one post-op after that any tachycardia is something going wrong okay. and that will be the the most sensitive clinical marker for you to pick up that this patient's in trouble okay so with the leak with the bypass patient again it's clinical history it's examination uh, where was the surgery performed was it in the uk nearby was it abroad for example and uh, you're going to send off your baseline bloods, your lactate, and again, straight to CT scan. I wouldn't bother with x-rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, CT, lower chest and abdomen uh, and pelvis with IV and oral contrast given in the same way. Oral contrast, probably about 25 to 30 minutes because you want it to work its way more the through the small bowel yeah, mm-hmm. to the second anastomosis. And again, uh, catheter, resuscitate the patient, get them onto HDU mm-hmm. and then speak to your local bariatric centre. If they're stable enough for transfer, you transfer them. Mm-hmm. But but either you might need to get a bariatric surgeon in to take them to theatre mm-hmm. or, or as a general surgeon, you might need to take them in, do a laparoscopy, wash out drains and stabilise them. Okay. And you'd always advocate a laparoscopic approach rather than a, a laparotomy? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in most of these cases, in most of these cases, if there's a perforation, um, you will wash it out, you will drain it, you might do an omental patch depending on where it is, and it often will heal up very nicely um, within a couple of weeks or so. Uh, so the bypass leaks heal much quicker than the sleeve leaks. A sleeve leak, for example, mm-hmm. can take two to three months for it to heal. Okay. A bypass leak, it's a couple of weeks. Okay. okay? And feeding-wise, uh, the bariatric surgeons will often, they might put in a feeding jejunostomy or a nasogeginal uh, feeding tube, which mm-hmm. is placed during the laparoscopy. Okay. okay, rather than relying on TPN. Or... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So that's the leaks. Uh, the other potential complication is a bleed, a post-op bleed. So again, very similar presentation to the sleeve patients, mm-hmm. uh, history examination, resuscitation, CT scan, uh, blood transfusion, and very rarely you might need to take them to theatre for a washout of a hematoma. Okay? Okay. Often with these patients, uh, you'll notice that bariatric surgeons are quite aggressive in taking them back to theatre. Yeah. We have a really low threshold for taking them back because a, wash, a, a diagnostic lab and a washout is a fairly low morbidity uh, procedure to have. And the patient, literally the next day, it'll turn them around okay. as opposed to sitting on them with a collection, allowing the body, putting percutaneous drains in, allowing the body, you know, they, you could be saving them three week hospital stay basically by taking them back and just operating on them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, the other potential is vomiting. So vomiting is very rare in gastric bypass patients. Okay, okay. because they haven't got the anatomy to be able to vomit yeah they they can still vomit post-op but you just don't see it you just do unless the patient's eating something uh um 
they've eaten something too quick or too big a portion, you see it much more commonly in sleeve patients, okay? okay? Because the sleeve is considered a high-pressure system, the bypass is a low-pressure system in terms of the, the, the pressure of the gastric juices and, and the stomach contents and so on. Um, so with the bypass then, any bypass patient who is vomiting post-op, there's a problem, full stop, okay? okay? So um, you need to, again, assess them, history examination, bloods. If the vomiting has been prolonged, again, you're going to give them Pabronex IV fluid uh, rehydration. Definitely CT scan, okay? Uh, again, in similar protocol to what I've mentioned previously. And vomiting-wise, in the first couple of weeks, you're looking for a port site hernia. Okay, which can happen. Um, you're looking for obstruction at the jejunal, jejunal anastomosis. And that's the key thing to pick up. So the with the gastric bypass, if you get obstruction in the JJ anastomosis, the back pressure goes up the biliary limb mm -hmm. through the DJ flexure, up into the duodenum, and up into the gastric remnant. The gastric remnant is stapled off. Yep. So that forms a closed loop system. Okay. And you can imagine the gastric remnant distended in yep. the left upper quadrant. If that blows, if that staple line blows, then you'll have massive contamination and an absolute catastrophe in an area which is just next to the spleen right. and the diaphragm and the lung. Okay, so, so you absolutely can't miss it. So any vomiting post-op uh, in a bypass patient is a CT scan looking for JJ obstruction. Okay. If there's JJ obstruction, that patient needs to go to theatre. So okay. you're going to have to resuscitate, rehydrate and very quickly blue light that patient to a bariatric centre because mm -hmm. they might need a complex procedure doing to relieve the obstruction. Okay. The JJ obstruction might present acutely with vomiting mm -hmm. or it can present subacutely with jaundice. Okay. Okay. Because of the back pressure, exactly. Because of the back pressure of fluid back pressure onto the biliary system, and you get biliary dilatation. Okay. okay? So again, jaundice so post gastric bypass could either be a CBD stone, common yep. things, or more more sinister would be the JJ obstruction. Okay. So vomiting or jaundice yeah. in a post bypass patient isn't alarm sign. They're, they're, yeah, okay. absolutely. Right. So they're the they're the acute problems within the first thirty days. Mm. In terms of the long term. Mm. The most important condition not to miss in a gastric bypass patient is an internal hernia. Okay. So when we do the bypass, we alter the anatomy, we're moving the small bowel with mesentery uh, up to the top of the abdomen. That creates artificial spaces behind it. Uh, there's two or three artificial spaces that are created depending on the type of bypass that was done, whether it's anticholic or retrocolic. One of the spaces is called Peterson space, so it's a space between the mesentery of the rule limb, mm -hmm. the mesentery of the transverse mesocolon. Okay. okay, and in that space, the patient could literally uh, pass their entire small bowel, causing a volvulus mm -hmm. in essence, uh, and that's called an internal hernia. And that patient could present with recurrent attacks of abdominal pain, sometimes distension, sometimes vomiting. Okay. So the lesson here is any pain, any sort of chronic abdominal pain, post-gastric bypass, they need a CT scan to rule out an internal hernia. Radiologically, the sign that the radiologist looks for is called a mesenteric swirl. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they all know to look for this. And if you see a report with a mesenteric swirl, query internal hernia, you need to refer that patient urgently to the bariatric unit. If you don't act quickly enough, there's a risk of the blood supply getting damaged to the bowel, and that patient could lose the small vast majority bowel. of the small bowel. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I've heard that that's more common a little bit further down the line once patients yeah. have lost weight, and yeah. they've lost weight on the mesentery as well, so the, so the space, is, space is open. So the commonest time for presentation is between six months to five years after a gastric okay. bypass. All right. 
Okay, so that's when the kind of risk of all the acute complications yeah. is. The is other thing, really. the other thing to be aware with the bypasses is that they're not allowed, strictly speaking, to take non-steroidals. Okay. And they're not allowed to smoke afterwards. Okay. Um, the GPs aren't always aware of this, so if you get a bypass patient coming in on diclofenac or presents with pain, mm-hmm. they've got a perforated ulcer until proven otherwise. Okay. And I operated on a patient in Nottingham um, in my final year as a registrar, actually, after my fellowship. Her GP had given her six ibuprofen tablets for just non-specific headaches and things. And mm-hmm. she was a gastric bypass patient with a history of stenosis in the gastrojejunal anastomosis repeated dilatations in that anastomosis and she was so sensitive to the NSAIDs that she uh, developed an acute ulcer, perforated and presented with peritonitis. On six tablets? On just from six tablets, wow. six proofins. So they're incredibly sensitive to it. So you look for that in the history. And again, that's a patient, obviously, if they're in extremists, you might have to take them, laparot- take them to theatre, laparotomize if need be. Mm-hmm. Better still do a laparoscopy and just a simple patch repair, wash out and drains. Uh, if you have to laparotomize, you treat it just like any other perf DU, except you're going to have to reach, obviously, a bit higher. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. We've covered a lot of detail. We have. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for taking your time out of your on-call week to um, come and talk to us. So we've covered um, bands, which I guess we're going to see less of in the future, yes. probably. Yes. And the main complications with those of dysphagia and vomiting, um, of band overfill and band slip, and of also the importance of appreciating that port infection might be might be more than that, it might be a gastric erosion. And um, we've talked about sleeve patients and the problems with leaks and bleeding and also dysphagia and the common problems with constipation um, and how to assess uh, and manage those patients. Um, and we've also talked about bypass patients um, and again the leak and bleeding post-operative problems and also the importance of vomiting and jaundice in, in a gastric bypass patient. Um, I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much, Kat. No, Thank you very much for okay. your help. Thank you for listening to another podcast brought to you by School of Surgery. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook at School of Surgery, on iTunes, on Podomatic at schoolofsurgery.podomatic.com and finally, by searching School of Surgery on YouTube. Thank you very much and see you next time.